Welcome to Is This Scary? This is Shelby. This is Phil. This is Zach. Today we are talking about Phantom of the Opera, 1989, with Robert Englund as the main character. <laughs> and I'm excited because Phantom of the Opera is a obsession of mine, okay? Sorry to weird you guys out, but this this is my stuff. This one's going to be the Shelby show. <laughs> I was like, I don't we, know. We've informed her like... her dissertation can only be an hour long. Yeah. So we're trying to save you all a little bit. I will try to control myself. But yes, 21st Century Fox was the production director. Dwight Little literally came off of the success of Halloween 4 and was like, hey, <clears throat> Fam of the Opera, the musical is literally making a huge splash literally five years before. And also at that time in 1989, there, Gus LaRue, the, who is the writer of the Phantom book, was having this huge, like, anniversary thing of, like, his estate. And so they're like, hey, we haven't had a fan of the opera since the 70s. Let's actually go back to the original book. Let's study it, ignore the musical, and actually do a horror movie. Because this story has always been classic horror. Right. And... If I remember right, they were also trying to beat the current movie version of the stage show <laughs> to the theater. Yes. And they did. Yes. I, I do have a question for Shelby at this point in time. Yes. Just to see what your knowledge is like. Uh, so what was the box office returns on this movie? I actually don't know. Four million. Hmm. On a budget of? I'll get back to you on that. Okay. Because <laughs> that's... I wouldn't be surprised no that I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, I think this is a bomb, which it's because of the marketing issues, which I will talk about later, because that is a big con about this movie. And I will, even though I love this movie a lot, it does have cons. You're not going to oh, yeah. find a perfect movie out there. There are goofs. There's a lot of bloopers. There's a, there's um, mix ups in this movie and also a lot of bad dubbing. So, poor casting. Yes. Yes, there is poor <laughs> casting. <laughs> But what are you talking about? That lady was all the convincing and all the fun all of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she, sure. Yes. Sure she was. She is. What I think the main thing that I love about this movie is that just Robert England himself is just amazing in this because even though, yes, it is marketed a, oh, this is another Freddy movie, kind of. He's so different in this movie. He is different. But yeah, even on the... So the Blu-ray edition that we watched it on... Screen Factory. <laughs> Not sponsored. <laughs> please. Please. We would... We... If you send us a free D, a Blu-ray of anything, we'll watch it and review it. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> but, um... That no. could go wrong. That could so bad. From Screen Factory. Don't... Don't get gross, people. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, no, it's on the front. He was Freddy. Now he's the Phantom of the Opera, which, yeah, they sold it as a slasher, mm -hmm. which it's not at all. Yeah. <laughs> this movie hugs the line. Because if you're going to go watch this movie as a Phantom fan, as I originally was, because I literally just absorbed everything. I have almost every single version except for Phantom of Paradise, which was in the in 74. It's hard to find. It's also, if you find it, it's very expensive. Um, and just, it, yeah, it's, it's good, but it hugs the line of, oh, this is a romantic movie, but at the same time, it's not. This is very gore, very graphic. It is the most horror aspect of any version there has ever been on screen. Oh, I was like, yes, you had the original, like, Lon Chaney and Claude Rains versions from the 50s and the 20s, but this has the blood. This has the gore, which we'll go into later. Spoiler warning now. We are going to spoil it. Oh, there you go. Someone oh, well, that's cheap. Well, 18 bucks ain't bad. I will find it. I will buy it so that I have it in my collection. <laughs> Amazon. Yes. Um, do you have any first thoughts before I go into the quick synopsis? Um... I mean, I didn't really know what to expect. The only... I have seen... Okay, so I'm not a huge Phantom fan, but 
Before this, the only Phantom of the Opera movie I saw was the early 90s Lloyd Webber movie. Mm-hmm. So the one that came, the one that they were trying to beat to theaters, yes. right? So, the, so yeah, the one that came out right after this is like my thing. And for a lot of people, that is the quintessential classic Phantom of the Opera. Story, be, yeah. Because that's the most famous version of it. Is I think the it's end. 2004, 2005, that version, I think. Okay, well, With the one with Gerard Butler. I don't. Okay. (laughs) I know it's one of the, one of the movies based on Andrew, the Andrew Lloyd Webber play, Mm -hmm. which again, the Lloyd Webber thing is what most people think of when they think. Yes, it's true. So I had never seen a full Phantom of the Opera. I've Mm -hmm. seen clips and uh, bits of it. Mm -hmm. My experience with it uh, was Iron Maiden and Nightwish doing Phantom I love of the Night- Opera. Nightwish's version. That's that was great. that was my. Exp- I knew the story. I knew like the concept of mm-hmm. it, and I was, I've seen clips of it, but I never sat down and watched. Mm-hmm. So this was my first full setting for uh, Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I went again. I went into this as a Phantom fan, not really a gore fan at this point yet, and I was like. Okay, there's the switch. I appreciate it. Because you are going to like this movie or you're going to hate this movie. It really depends on what type of fan you are. Are you a horror fan or are you a phantom fan? Are you a fanatic? And even if you are a gore fan, you might not even like this movie because sometimes it gets a little slow because of the romantic parts. Once you get through that, it's like, okay, that's fine. I often, when I watch this movie, I compare it to um, Candyman because there's slow moments that are like pseudo romantic in the first movie when he's like talking to her and stuff like that. But it's very quick. I'd agree with that. But if I was going to watch one of these movies again, more recent, if I, and you're not, don't get mad at me, but I like the first Candyman movie better oh, than this movie. Oh, I like I think Candyman it's a better too. movie. Yeah, it's fine. That's fine. I, I'm not going to get angry. <laughs> it's fine. Everybody You're right. Angry. It's the 2004 version is yeah. the one that I was thinking of. Yeah. But yeah. So going into the basic synopsis, you have Christine Day. She is an American opera singer. Set This movie starts in New York in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. She wants to audition for the biggest play that's coming out. And she meets with her friend Meg in a really old, dusty music theater or music library that we all want to go to because we want to rifle through those booth shelves. Yes, that that used bookstore looked amazing. Yes. And Meg gives her a piece of sheet music called Don Juan Triumphant by Eric Dessler, even though Christine quickly learns that this guy, the composer, was a mysterious guy who allegedly was killing people in London back during the Victorian era. She's like, I'm going to use it anyway. Allegedly. Quote. Allegedly. (laughs) Real quick. I didn't. Meg should have been the main actress because it's Molly Shannon. <laughs> She's literally in this movie for like five minutes. Oh, I felt like that she could have put on a fake British accent. It would have been fine. As opposed to Jill Cholin or however you say her name. Yeah. And... She, even though she has like a little quick scare as she's singing the music, it sounds familiar to her and the pages start bleeding. She goes and tries out. She's singing the song only a few bars in. Weight drops down, knocks her out, breaks a window, and then she's transported back to the past. Almost like a past life. She has no recollection of what just happened. And now we're swooped in. Meg has now been recast. <laughs> And now she is in Victorian yeah. London. Yeah, Meg is suddenly British along with everybody else. Yes. and <laughs> It makes sense if you don't think about it. Yes. And she ha- she is understudied to the diva. And she has also got an upper hand because she's got a mysterious teacher that's teaching her through the walls. And her. we know it's the phantom. Well, her, angel. her angel. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And Her angel got some problems. Yeah, and dark things start happening very quickly. <laughs> That's the understatement yeah. of the yes. century. 
The Phantom in this version, he's been deformed. He's like been raised with deformity or he has been burned with acid or fire in a mishap. This one's even more extreme. When the Phantom, Eric, was a young pianist in a brothel, a dwarf came up to him and asked him, hey, you play really good. Would you sell your soul to the devil so people would love you for your music? And he says, yes. And pretty much the Phantom is burned his face with like the devil's fire. So he is deteriorating internally and has these gruesome- well, ma- external. Yes. Well, I think internally because of his teeth missing too. Oh yeah, it, yeah. It's it's the crossword crossroad story. It's uh, it it's is. at that aspect. It's um, oh, what's his name? And the story of Faust. Well, the Faust. Yes, yes. Because yeah. that's a pinnacle part in the um, just a relation to what they're playing too. So he is brutally deformed. It's never healing. And then on top of that, too, instead of just wearing a porcelain mask, instead he skins people and sews the skin on his face. Okay. So the thing, real quick, side note. Go ahead. What Phil was thinking of is a famous blues musician, Robert Johnson. Well, I mean, it's... But the concept is the same. It's still a Faustian deal. Well, the, crossroads is, the Crossroads is just the American version of it. Well, I just like the Robert Johnson version of it because it's the early in his career, he was a middling guitarist. He disappears for like a, a year, year and a half or so. He comes back and he's a virtuoso. And all of a sudden he's got this songbook There's- and he just lays down all these amazing songs, starts to get famous and dies. Yep. And what <laughs> what really what really sets that up is the uh, the Crossroads trilogy that he does. What is it? Devil on my back blues, Hellhounds on my trail, and then Me and the Devil blues. I think are the three. I know the last two. I think the first one I might have uh, got wrong, but same difference. Mm-hmm. And with his deformity, he's also got like super strength too but that's that comes into play later on but and he it seems selective yes it does seem selective <laughs> um but so he when he has this face on he plays this part of like an aristocrat like he's able to something different in comparison to the others he actually walks among the living people instead of just hanging out in his sewers he holds himself very well and that was one thing that I prized for in regards to Robert England's character in this because he tried, he ch- he challenged himself, quote unquote here. <sighs> Says he worked very hard during several weeks of rehearsal, practicing a seasoned British accents, learning how to appear natural in period clothing. And he also picked this part is because he wanted to be above one of the greats. Even though Robert England at this point in his career was big and on the rise with the Nightmare films, he didn't really see himself as a legend yet in the horror community. So he's like, hey, if I play the Phantom, I'm pretty much part of Herbert Lom, Lon Chaney, and Claude Rains, just to name a few. So he's like, yeah, I'm doing this, and I'm going to do pretty good at it. I'm going to be honest with you. Talking about the fact that he uh, sews people's the faces to himself... That was such a off-putting, unsettling scene. And it plays with you because the, that scene is so weird because it's so early in the film. It's like within 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. And it's also very quiet because we see the reverse of that scene. And it's like the music is a lot higher. It's We also see a lot. And it's juicy. I remember when you said it's like, oh, that's a little juicy. <laughs> well, yeah, because... But the way that they did it, because we watched a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff, was really cool. Because so they do a, they get Robert in the chair and they do a full face on him, and they do a partial face, and then they gave him latex pieces to sew onto the partial face. Yeah, which is like, so by like, the time you get done, you're under three layers of latex. Yeah, <laughs> fake teeth, chin piece. It's like. Sir, <laughs> and when I I'm actually, when I met Robert England because I was like, all right, what do I get to him to sign? 
do I get him to sign the Nightmare movie or do I get to him to sign this? Because I was like, I have three copies of this movie. I can spare one and he can sign it. And he was so excited. And I asked him, I was like, would you prefer um, sitting in a chair this long for this movie or Nightmare? And he's like, Nightmare is so much more easier. He's like, this was ridiculous. I mean, I was on that chair for a long time and it was just so many pieces on and it's amazing. Big theme of this movie is layering, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. What were your guys' favorite parts in this movie? I actually really liked the end cap of the movie back in the modern day. Okay. I because you could tell from the way that they shot that that they were pushing for that sequel that never happened. <laughs> but it's just the way that it works out. Just that ending piece, which we'll get to, is really good. I, that was my favorite part of the movie because I like the fact that he had survived to modern day and adapted to modern times. Yeah. He got better faces now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think probably one of my favorite scenes is honestly the, uh, the outcome of the hot tub scene when they show it. That was wild and uh more and then other than that the uh i really enjoyed the whole i the masquerade ball oh yeah kind of that whole thing well i mean I, that's the outcome of the hot tub scene right there are you talking wait a minute okay you got you you're talking about soup head or are you talking no, about the joseph guy oh. i'm talking about the flayed guy oh yeah okay. joseph bouquet that was the stage hand. Yeah. That's yeah. the first kill in the movie. But that's the outcome. That happens in the hot tub while she's taking the, uh, the bath. The bath. Sorry. Out, yeah. Bath, not hot tub. Well, Same yeah, that's in the yeah. dressing room. Yeah. yeah that's, what I, that's what I meant by oh. hot tub. Was that's The outcome of that scene was... Yeah. I wasn't bad. expecting that as a kill, the way that they did that. Because the first kill, Joseph Bouquet makes a mistake, and he decides, oh, I'm just going to blame it on the Phantom, which is common for the book. He always does. And so... Oh, yeah, because... All right, so when they time travel, yeah. Joseph's the guy that hits her with the stage weight. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so he's off by himself, and who do we have? Mr. Phantom. He's watching him, and he's like, hey... How you doing? And they start they start talking. <laughs> hey, you want some of my booze? Yeah. And he's like, oh, but you blamed me on this. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to kick you now. <laughs> but also then I'm going to stab you and pretty much gut you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, not. <laughs> if it was a longer, if it was a longer night. He didn't gut him at all. Because when they opened it up, he was, he was still alive. I know. Okay. That, because we looked it up and... It is possible for him to be You're alive. You're right. Okay, but this is where Shelby said there are inconsistencies in this movie, and Joseph is a good example of that. Yeah. Because there's a scene, he, no, he gets straight up stabbed by the Phantom, and that stab wound is not there later. Right, and it's fair. also stabbed, but it's also, it's being dragged because he's still being pulled up. But the reason why he shouldn't kill him is because the blade is literally like an inch. It's not that long. Okay, so, so is that just like the start of the flame? Yeah, it's like, okay. <laughs> it's like, all right. But that's really the only flay job that we see. Yeah. Because they did cut a lot of the kills out, which goes into my favorite part, is just the alleyway kill. The, just that whole concept. I mean, the opera has already happened. He's already watched it. He's out in the tavern. He's already gotten a prostitute. He's good. He's 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 getting a nightcap and he's going home. And he's walking around like dressed as an aristocrat. He's got gold. He's the people at the tavern, like the wenches, like actually like him because he's just he likes his privacy and he pays me a lot and he's he's fine. He's got manners. Yeah, he throws his money around. Yeah, and he's got manners. Exactly. Yeah. So I like the way <laughs> that this shows the moment of just the difference between him as Phantom and him as Freddy because of the way he holds himself. As Freddy, he's kind of hunched over. He's got like the weight of the glove is is kind of having him off balance a little bit and also when he's running towards people he's crouched over his hands are up almost like he's an animal in, in certain I was going to say he's more menacing as Freddy yes 
In this one, he's just off-putting, but because he's dressed as an aristocrat, you're not expecting almost like a Jack the Ripper kind of feel to it. Um, but he, the way that he whips his cape around and he holds himself, he does a lot of eye acting in this scene because mm-hmm. he's completely covered because his yeah. face is starting to deteriorate. Well, yeah, you gotta get you gotta get fresh kills when your face rots off. Yeah, uh. and that's what he does. I mean, we have like a quick like decapitation scene, which I think that prosthetic head looks great. It looks on point. It's just that they they show the first cut and then the head I hits know. the ground. They cut it out. If you watch the behind the scenes, you see more of the decay. Yeah, because they have some stills. Yeah, and yeah. it looks a lot better. And they, they cut sh- it out to to make so it, so it didn't get a higher rating than it. Mm-hmm. They wanted. They cut it out because they were either going to get an X. Well, they they said we might have caught an NC-17. We would have more likely caught an X rating on that. Yeah. Which puts you in like a hundred theaters. Yeah. Yeah. But that is my favorite scene because I like the way that he holds himself. And also he's just like Batman. He just, they start running away. Boom. I'm right here. Boom. I'm right here. <laughs> and this is one of those scenes where his selective super strength is... Turned yes. on. Yeah, because he's like lifting people that are like twice his, twice his side because Robert England's a very skinny person. <laughs> especially, well, I'm sure, especially in this one because he was under so much makeup. He yeah. had. He was sweating. He was losing weight in this, yeah. in this role. Also, to go back to like this scene in itself, this movie is set in Budapest. It's like. Oh, well, it was shot. Yeah, shot in Budapest. And. They just were like, they recently did a movie before, and they're like, oh, hey, the yeah, set's yeah. still up. I can't remember what it was called, but... Um, I think... Oh, he's in the... Roger Daltrey? It was, like, in the it Who, was a period right? piece. Yeah, it was. I think it was a Roger Daltrey's Oliver Twist. I okay, do believe. could be. It, I can see that concept, but it's got, like, the alleyways, you got the storefronts, cobblestone. Like, it definitely has, like, that um, Whitechapel kind of feel to it. Maybe a little bit more claustrophobia, and you would be that. Uh, you would get that Whitechapel, like dingy kind of feel to it. But I like what they did with that. That uh, just it looks poor in a way. Um, the opera itself—that was an actual opera. They only, really only had a few days to shoot some of the scenes, but they really—they showed the elegance, the difference of the outside world in comparison to the opera itself. Hey, real quick. Yes. Jumping back to what something uh, I might be Zach said point. Uh, earlier about how they should have had Molly Shannon play the uh, main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I figured out why they, they didn't do that. Why? This is her first movie. Huh, this okay. is her first cinematic appearance. Okay. Well, and that's fair. And the actual lead actress had already been in a couple of horror movies before this. So she was... Becoming a screen queen. Yeah. That never quite made it. I mean, she was in... She ended up being in, like, five or six horror movies. Yeah. I think I'm wrong. I don't know. But regardless, yes, there was a movie that had the period of... That was in the same time period with all the sets that were still up. And they wanted to pay homage to Hammer. Because as... The director, Dwight Little, and Robert Engler both Hammer fans. They wanted to make a good... Hammer film. Yeah, because the Hammer film version of Phantom is trash. I'm sorry. I bought it and I was like, what is this crap? I'm sorry, Hammer. I love you, but this makes no sense. It's really, really dumb. Yeah, I'd rather watch the Claude Rains version 20 times over and then watch that one. But um, I guess, is there any other parts that you guys want to talk about? Do we want to talk about just the casting overall? We can. Yeah. Because I, I do feel that... That is the biggest downer. One of the cons of this this movie. Because Robert England is perfectly cast. Um, is it Bill Nye or Bill Nighy? How do you say I name? always say Bill Nye. Other people say Nighy. Bill Nye. Bill Nye. Okay, but regardless. Bill Nye as... The manager. Right. Well, house. and one of the backers, because the financial, he's one of the yeah. money men mm-hmm. as well. It's fantastic. And he steals all of the scenes that he's in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just, he wasn't what he is now, right. but definitely you're like, there he is. 
there, there, there's Bill. <laughs> Killing it. <laughs> Killing it. It's just, he, his one-liners are just, it's great. Yeah, and then you had, unfortunately, most of the other, most of the rest of the cast. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of the cast in this did not do a great job. Yeah. It's, I felt like they were like, hey, we need to get this movie out quick. And pretty much that's exactly what happened. And they're like, let's get people that can fake a British accent. Or that are British. Yes. Or somebody that's just okay. It's like. I I do got to say, I absolutely loved when she, uh, Meg, in the beginning of the movie, is uh, Molly Shannon. And then. She gets sent back in time, and now Meg is... Emma Rossin. Yeah, Rossin. Who, by the way, doesn't even rate a Wikipedia page. Yeah. (laughs) She's a bit actress. Yeah. And then we have Christine Day is played by Jill Shallon. Um... I remember watching the behind the scenes. They kind of picked her because she was, they're all from like North Carolina. And they're like, she's a Carolina girl, or, or not not North Carolina, California girl that doesn't have like that California accent. Well, and the other thing, like they actually said in that same thing was she was up and coming in the horror community. Mm-hmm. And they wanted as many ties to horror movies as possible because, um, oh, hold on. Let me look at it. Because there was, there we go. Stepfather, the stepfather had come out two years earlier. Mm-hmm. That was a big horror movie at the time. And they were like, okay, well, we can get her off of that. That's with her and Robert England. That's a, a really good tie to the horror community that we're trying. Well, to the horror audience we're trying to pull in. Right. Because they tried to pull in the theater nerds and the horror nerds at the same time, which are two very different audiences to hit with mm-hmm. one movie. Yeah. And then you have, like, the potential, like, love interest for Christine, Richard, <sighs> Alex Hyde-White. They really just kind of picked him because he's half British and he could do a British accent. <laughs> and he just, it's that... He was hey, there. darling. It's just like, that's kind of like accent. So it's like, okay. I mean, he's a small part. It's not really important. The p- character of him is different in every single one. But he's kind of just there. It's mainly Christine and Phantom. And that's about it. I think the only really like key important character is the inspector. Because he's like, he sees the flayed body in the closet. And he's like, I know exactly who who this is. Because I've seen this work before. So he is on the case, man. And the inspector was decent. Yeah. I don't have any problem with him. I, and I think he, I liked it because he was like, no bull crap. He's like, do the job. He's like, let's go. Like hey, he, sorry, real quick. I I didn't know the actor who played, uh, played Richard. Love It, Richard, mm-hmm. Alex Hyde White. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he was as, uh, was it prolific, prolific of an actor as he was? Mm-hmm. I didn't know he was in like, he played uh, Dr. Reed Richards in, 94's Fantastic Four to the point where he was in Nope. Oh, okay. Like, the man is... Got been, a lot. He's pumping out a movie. He's been in a movie at least once. Once, one a year. Wow. Well, good for him. Yeah. Since 78. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that interjection. No, no it's it's fine. I didn't either, but he's... Indiana, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I mean, he's still not a great actor. No, but there's a lot of them. Yeah, but either, I think the main part was Jill, I mean, she's supposed to be playing an opera singer, soprano, and it's very quick that she's being dubbed. In the behind the scenes, she says, yes, I am a singer, but it would have taken months and months to get to that part where I have to sing. I mean, she sings a full song and then a partial of the song multiple times. And it's like, okay, even then, if you're only singing one song to a point, you got to be able to sing the song because you're singing in front of a whole bunch of people. It's a pinnacle part of the movie. You got to be able to sing a song. But they were like, let's go the easy route. Let's just dub her. Well, dub it. Yeah. 
I mean, at moments, it's like, okay, I see what she's doing. She's really trying, but then it's like, she's obviously being dubbed. There was one scene where it's so obvious it hurts, and that's when she's in her dressing room by herself practicing. There's just one where there's a long note happening, and she closes her mouth. Yeah. She's like, mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my thing, what she does is that she does a lot of, I'm going to move my head when I want a note to go up or a goat to go down. And it's like, no, if you actually watch opera, that's mainly a jaw movement. It's all about the mouth. And it's like. And she never like bounces her jaw like actual singers. You can tell that she's just miming. Yeah. Also, she does a lot of moving around. No, <laughs> breathe. It's all about the breathing. You can't run around stage when you're trying to sing high notes. Right. Right, Phil. I mean, as I am actively known for my vocal talents, uh, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but even if you were playing guitar, if you're just running around, be a that's little. Not, diff- that's not fair. I played metal. We were. That's all we did. We just run around. <laughs> Played technical stuff and ran around. That's all you did. But no, I mean, you're right. Uh, the harder something is, the less you move. Right. And that's just the, the factor of playing live yes. and doing things live. And I think the basic differences from this movie in comparison to what we've seen in the past is obviously the graphic and the gore parts of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, we don't really see this. I was like, yes, we have the biggest, like, unmasked scene in the Lon Chaney version, and because but that was the silent era. Lon Chaney Sr. was the man of a thousand faces. He's going to look crazy, and but this went farther than that as we go into like the unmasking part of this film, which is like my second favorite part. His face is deteriorating, so what does he do? He rips it off, and it's juicy. It's juice, and underneath looks great. Because when you have the, just all of it off, it is, it's charred. Yeah, and again, it's layered. I'm like, you can see, like, the, just like the muscles and the bone, and especially on his cheek part, it's, like, great. I'm like, he takes his nose piece off, and then he takes, like, a prosthetic off that would give his nose shape, takes his teeth out, takes his hair off, like, it's all green. And also the way that he acts as he's, like, taking it off. If you're taking a Band-Aid and you, like, shiver because it just gives you, like, the chills, he does that. And it's like, I like that. Well, yeah, that's because he's actually a good actor, and like yeah. <laughs> a lot of the other people in this movie. I like how this description of Victorian Cape Crusader. <laughs> I mean, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I love it. With a knife. With a knife. That, uh, that's also a whip. <laughs> that is the one thing. If you don't like camp, this is not the movie for you either. There are some very campy scenes in it. I mean, it fits the production, but it's just got moments where it's cheesy. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with that. Yes. And also, um, one thing that I always do when I watch this movie, count how many times Robert England has to blow out a dang candle or a match. <laughs> like six or seven. Yeah. <laughs> Especially my favorite <laughs> candle knife. <laughs> Oh, God. You mean where he sets Richard on fire when he stabs him? Also, going back to that scene, his lair is great, but also a fire hazard. Phil, you're always talking about safety on horror movies. They didn't get this memo. No. Well, it's the 80s. They didn't care. (laughs) So, the lair is all foam and i mean behind the scene they said he's like if this foam catches fire it is a toxic gas just waiting to happen everything was made by foam and those weren't faint canceled candles people those were hundreds thousands of candles literally inches away from that foam what are you talking about foam doesn't melt <laughs> it just ceases to exist exactly so yeah 
and they <laughs> everybody would have died. Yeah, and they try and they decide, oh, let's end this movie with a fire scene. <laughs> it's like torch the place. <laughs> what were you thinking? It would look cool. I mean, I appreciate what they did with that fire scene because you could t- both the stunt doubles for Richard and the Phantom. You could just see the flame retardant gel all over them. They went for it. Yeah. They lit both of those dudes on fire all the way. Mm-hmm. And it looks great because you can't be practical effects, especially when it's fire. Because yeah. digital fire doesn't look looks good. like crap. And it always has, although I don't think they could have done done it digitally in 89. Probably not. You have to just set that guy on fire. Yeah. Oops. How how is it being like I guess the more you do it it wouldn't matter. But that first that first day, the first time it ever happens, you show up to that go and they're just immediately smothering you and stuff. And it's like, well, what's this for? What am I doing today? Oh, we're lighting you on fire today. Oh. Okay. Let me call my wife. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean I imagine that would be like you're at you're at stunt school. All right, what did we learn today? Fire. (laughs) Fire. What do you mean? (laughs) We're going to set you on fire today. Oh. Well, all right then. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm not for this. What were your guys' cons about this movie? I think we covered a lot of it. I think you have. It was, I just... For me, it's some of the acting and just some of the delivery on lines mm-hmm. and stuff was bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, primarily the acting. Yeah. And then the dubbing. Yeah. My major con of this movie was mainly the reason why it wasn't super successful. Did you ever figure out what the budget was? No. I couldn't figure it out. Uh, I can tell you that in the first week, it made... Where is it? Like, it made $2 million in the first week, and then the film closed the third week. Late, uh, oh, closed three weeks later, only making $4 million, mm. or just under $4 million. According to this book, it says one of the few ambitiously low-budget productions, but that we don't know exactly what that means. So just off of an... Undisclosed budget, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of over four million, mm-hmm. because four million did not recoup what they spent. So it was just because this one, like we said, I think because of the weird marketing, trying to sell it to two very different audiences, both with your uh, niche audiences. Yeah, I mean, Phantom became. <laughs> Of a huge thing with five years in, it was already on tour in the UK. Started in the UK and then went to the Americas, but it became huge. It's still the most high-ranking, longest-running musical to this day in history, and I think fanatics were a little angry about this movie and it's like well if you do your history this movie is a horror movie this story is is dark yeah but the people that have fallen in love with phantom of the opera don't read the original story because that's not the most famous version Mm -hmm. so it's they're gonna stick with their their favorite version yeah yeah they're gonna stick with the musical yep so (laughs) And all of Shelby's heart just broke. It's okay. I've seen the musical several times. As I'm I the playbill. Shocked. <laughs> the Mask of the Red Death. As they took pretty that was one thing that was very ambitious. They sat down, were like, hey, we are not focusing on anything when it comes to the play. We're going back to the book. But I tell you one thing, when we get to the masquerade scene at the climax at the end of the film and you see the Phantom and his masquerade death, it is almost identical to what we see on the stage play, but also going back to Lon Chaney's version as well. I mean, the hat, 
what he's wearing, all the sequence is literally almost exactly what we see. And I'm like, hmm, they could have, they, maybe they could have, did they get away with something here? They, they could have gotten in trouble, in my opinion. But they didn't. They could have, but it is what it is. Yeah. I haven't seen the Lawn Train Shanty version in a while. It's very over dramatic, but I love it. Well, I mean, that's the stuff that's, that's of its time. Yeah. yeah. I guess going into yeah, the the marketing was was trash, but uh, and that that's something that I always had a problem with it because it's just like why. <laughs> but final thoughts. I was gonna say, given that I had never, I had seen pictures and small bits and pieces of this over the years. Mm-hmm. I'd never hunted it out. Yes. But being a Robert England fan, Mr. England steals the show. All of the parts of the movie with him in it are quite enjoyable. Like I said, Bill Nye does a good job. The I, I like the design and the look of the movie. It's mm-hmm. dark where it needs to be. It's well lit. All of that. The music is pretty good. Mm-hmm. But, um, the, okay, well, what we actually didn't talk about in that much detail for me is... So when we get to the modern day, because I said we'd come back to this. So he's just got full-on prosthetic faces. And you can tell it's... There are scenes where... I'm sure we're Robert's favorite to do on the days because he didn't have to put on any makeup. Yeah. Because it's just his face. Yeah. <laughs> it's just his face. And I love what they do with that because it's like, okay, we're going to do the famous unmasking like the story always has. And it's like, I'm just going to rip your whole face off. Yeah, it looked great. <laughs> like, it's they also just, like burnt so in this point because it's, it's dark. It's black. Almost like the fire um, has like crispified. And again, it's different than what we've seen with Freddy. It's like it's not pizza face anymore, right? But extra crispy. Yeah, because I think one of my favorite scenes, just visually, is whenever he's replacing it and he just opens it up, and there's just a case full of faces. <laughs> I want to know: Does Robert just have faces around his house? It's like, oh, that's the face. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. No, it, it's the most generic. Everywhere, live, laugh, love. Can you, I can, I can just imagine he's like, okay, he does a movie and he's like, hey, Robert, we need to take a cast. Your f- okay. <laughs> <laughs> just how many cases, how many casts of his face are there? Let's there? go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go find one. I'm going to give it to you for Christmas. <laughs> it's like, Robert, can you sign your face? <laughs> can you imagine it? Oh, I love this movie so much. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites and the reason why, because it has so much layering into it. I mean, Robert himself is so much layering, the way he walks, the way that he talks in this movie is great. Because again, it's different from Freddie. He tried to soften his voice as he's doing a lot more voice acting now in comparison to actually being on screen. And he's like, I'm not going to do my Freddie voice. I'm going to do my soft-spoken voice and i'm like i appreciate that because again it takes that step away not above but away from freddie and i appreciate that i mean the layering to his clothing the layering to the shots and itself Mm -hmm. the music it's very repetitive i want to hear more of don one i i think a lot of people as we saw in the behind the scenes a lot of people are like hey can you the guy who did the composing he's like can you can you release the full thing of Don Juan? I don't know if he's ever going to do it, but it would be interesting if he did. Well, yeah, because like you said, they only really do that, that snippets of it. They don't yeah. do a full, there's and not even a full song. Faust, but Faust is a movie, or is a, is a story that's, it's played now in operas. So it's well known. Yes. Final thoughts, Phil? Um... As this being my first instance into a a real uh, family opera movie, it was it was good. It was a uh, the prosthetics, as we've talked about a lot, as it stands, were just everything you needed. Yeah. 
from being unsettling and uh, creepy to just just being plain. Just they were what they needed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it it was a good movie. If you haven't seen it, check it out. I was yeah, afraid that you movie. guys were not going to like this movie. No, I had fun with it. Because it is one of those movies, it does hug the line where, oh, it's romantic. Oh, it's because I've watched, a, after kind of revisiting this movie again, I went back and was like, hey, I want to see what like the YouTubers, like what the reviewers like of this movie. And it's the same thing. They are hardcore horror fans. So they're going into this movie kind of thinking it's a Freddy movie. And they're like, this movie is too slow. And it's like, it hurts my heart a little bit, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I understand where they're coming from. Well, I also looked at it, it's not just one thing, mm-hmm. because it, like you said, it is a romantic movie, it's also a period drama, it's also a horror movie, and it does all of those, it's, it blends all of those things together in a way where you get lighter versions of all of those movies you don't nothing not one genre of movie is fully represented you get like i said soft touches of different genres Mm -hmm. which is a hard movie to sell always yeah that's i think that was its biggest stumbling block was they made such a multi-layered movie it's hard to sell that this is an indie movie. It yeah. feels like one. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. This was just watching this movie. It wasn't going to make money. It's yeah. just not that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was bad timing too. I feel like if this movie was made maybe during the nineties, maybe 95 or even just like made now, I felt like maybe it could have been a little bit more successful or go back to the seventies. I don't know, because if you don't make that movie when you make it, you have a completely different cast to that. Yeah. And while I don't, while I'm not in love with the cast, I think it's part of the movie's charm, even the parts that don't work. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're there for the lulls. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you move this to any other time period, time period you're going to have those time periods kind of the what's going on in that. Yeah. What I mean, like is if you, if you take move it to the nineties, you're going to have, because it was, it felt, it feels even looking back on unavoidable. You're going to have a more nihilistic view into it. Good point. If you move it into the two thousands or even now, like, Mm -hmm. Nihilism's back, baby. Sorry. <laughs> and that's why the next Phantom that was literally made a year later, full romance TV series, like, no gore, nothing. Like, it is completely different. It's great as well, but still, yeah, this has always been, I think this is one of my favorite versions of the story, and I, I love it. Now, we're going to go into horror news. So, we have a trailer for Wednesday, Netflix. And... It looks good. It looks good. A lot of racism coming out about it because they don't like the idea that they have casted Latinas or Latinos, especially for Gomez. Makes no no sense. (laughs) Oh, it's like, come on. His last name is Gomez. <laughs> They're going back to the original. Well, his first name is Gomez. Yes. It's like you're going back to the original, like, caricatures. And it's like. Well, okay. So they're going back to the original cartoons. So the Adams Family was originally a series, was an, originally an unnamed family written or drawn by cartoonist Charles Adams for the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. So it was. Highbrow, lowbrow art at the same time. Um, Gomez is originally this weird, dumpy guy mm-hmm. who's married to a beautiful, beautiful woman. Their son takes after him. Their daughter takes after her. Yeah. You've got... And then, you know, you have the rest of the family. But they are... Gomez is originally a strangely athletic fat man. Yeah. So 
Yeah. Tim Burton's obviously a fan of the original comics. Yeah. Which I think... But... I forget the actor's name, but he's a really good actor and I'm not mad at it. Yeah. I... It looks like a lot of fun. It look, It feels like the first two Adams Family movies. Mm-hmm. Which is my favorite rendition of the Adams Family. Yeah. I agree. I'd be curious to see how it's going to be in the theaters. Or it's Netflix. Not, yeah. I was going to say, I'm looking forward to it. Yep. It should be fun. Uh, I missed that trailer. But on trailer t- conversation, so apparently the Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey trailer has dropped. Yes. We watched it. It was fun. <laughs> I, I haven't been excited for Winnie the Pooh since I was a wee lad. <laughs> and I am just filled with just so much, so much enjoyment. Yes. However, the poster... Pooh on the poster looks so weird. I think it's supposed to. They, I know it. They have definitely changed after Christopher Robin left. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, but it's. Mm, it was a lot of fun. I was laughing at it at the beginning because I thought it was just not all there, and then if you've seen the trailer, there's a fantastic little clip in the pool with just an axe and it's just so good yeah absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. yeah. also another trailer was the killer clowns from outer space game has been um the trailer Ooh. for that has been released same makers of friday 13th the game so it's very similar gameplay my only thing that I have about it, which is a positive, is they went back and they really studied killer clowns because all the clowns, all the details are on point. Killer clowns is, be- is making a comeback. They they are a pinnacle big point at Halloween Horror Night. So they're making a comeback. So I'm down for it. I think it's going to be cool. But at the same time, it's not like it's. I wish, I hope that the gameplay is different than what we've seen with Friday the 13th. I won't be surprised. It's very similar. You can play as the clowns, but you can also play as survivors. Um, you got the cotton candy cocoons and stuff like that. Um, different locations, I would think, um, that you can play. But they really went back and they reviewed it, though. So you had me when you first started with the Killer Clowns from Outer Space uh game and then you you lost me because it just seems it, it, at this point it just seems like a reskin of uh Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th yeah and also okay at this games. at this point this is the fourth game that's like so we have Dead by Daylight Friday the 13th Evil Dead and Killer Clowns from Outer Space that all have almost identical game. Yep, and I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure I, I won't be surprised that the Leatherface mo- uh, game is going to be the exact same. I appreciate that horror gaming is having a renaissance, but why is it only one thing? Yeah. Because if you keep just slapping a new skin on the same style of game and putting it out again and again, diminishing returns are going to happen really fast. Yeah. Because this is starting to feel like what zombies zombie games were... In the 2010s, mm-hmm. where it's just like, okay, zombies are really popular. So we're going to put zombies, we're going to make 800 zombie games. Yeah. Because now it just feels like, all right, the killer survivor dynamic is working and we're making money off of it. So we're going to put every single franchise out. Yep. It's like, where's the survival horror? Where's Where are those games left anymore? I mean, a different game, I mean, it's similar to Five Nights at Freddy's, but not quite, is the Poppy Playtime, which yeah. only has, like, I think, what, two seasons? Yeah. So it's, like, two short gameplays, which is good and actually becoming very big because the idea of Huggy, Huggy Wuggy. If he's you go terrifying. With, he's terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. But if you go to any place that has stuffed animals, he's everywhere. When I was in New York not a couple months back, I noticed... A, he was like for sale at places and my best friend was like what is that and i was like oh it's from poppy playtime and i was like i don't want a child being having that thing around its neck <laughs> i don't want that in my house yeah exactly <laughs> but that's become big go zach i know you're excited all right so for me this is 
the big horror news for the year because it's been done wrong so many times. <laughs> Hellraiser's back. Hulu is dropping it on October 7th. Um, I was going to say they got Clive Barker's blessing. He's an executive producer. He was on set for this one. So, like, this is the most that Barker has had his hands in a Hellraiser production in decades. We have a female Hell Priest. Cool. Don't care. Doesn't matter. Because it the- goes with the story. Not even that, but just goes with the theme. It doesn't matter. Pin, there's... Whoever the lead Hell Priest is, is the current Pinhead. Pinhead is not just Doug Bradley. Sure, he's the iconic version, Mm -hmm. but if you read into the novella and the comics and stuff, there are so many different Cenobites, you don't have to have Doug come back. Right. If you do it right, you can replace Pinhead. Mm Mm-hmm. And I hope they do it right. I am really looking forward to this. Um, ever since I discovered Hellraiser when I was in my teens, that was one of the things that like just launched me into horror. Because it's like, this is weird. This is kind of sexy. This is, you know, it's just one of those. Hellraiser is just one of those things. It's like, all right, it's going to make you uncomfortable. It might turn you on a little bit. And it's holds that unique place in horror for that and it makes me really excited to see what they're going to do with this because it it can be really cool or it can just be another Revelations and we'll just write it off and they can try again in a few years or worst case scenario they'll miss the mark completely and we'll get something akin to Texas Chainsaw Massacre 21 yeah (laughs) (laughs) But hopefully it works out because, again, Clive's back and Mm -hmm. his fingerprints should be noticeable on Mm -hmm. this version. And if they do anything, my only Mm hope is that if they're going to do anything to pay homage to Doug with Doug and the original um, screen queen for her, the final girl, I don't want them. I want them involved very minimally, if none at all. I was going to say, because you had said before with it is dub, Doug's voiceover, whatever. I, yeah, almost I like it's... I don't want that done, though. Or maybe have him come in in a few words. Yes, like every other word is a mixture of female and male. That's. I think that'd be even... I. It would be... Distracting. It would be distracting, but if they're going to do that, use an unrecognizable voice. Because if they're going to use Doug's voice... You would either want to have it at you would want to have it at a very tense, a very scary moment in the movie. Mm-hmm. You don't want to waste that. Yeah, I'm gonna tear your soul apart. <laughs> but yeah. And again, if I want to see Doug as Hellraiser, Hellraiser, I'll go watch Hellraiser one, two, one and two, and maybe three if yeah. I feel well. I like the first four Hellraiser films, but and then there were more. It's definitely one movie that I need to get or franchise I need to get a refresher on. It's been a very long time. Oh, I'm down. Yeah, we'll watch them eventually. <laughs> you don't have to twist my arm. <laughs> but, no, I was going to say that, for me, that's some of the biggest horror news in a long time. Just because it's, it comes from low-budget origins and became a horror icon. Mm-hmm. So that that's just one of, that's one of the other things I respect about it is the first Hellraiser movie was shot for almost nothing. Yeah, and it's something that's kind of due. It's got to do. I mean, we're seeing Chucky make a huge thing right now. Two seasons of the show getting rave reviews and great viewership. Yep. Like, the, the numbers for it. Yep. They're already showing sneak peeks of filming for the next season. Yeah, that, like I said, they're doing the second season right yeah. now. Halloween Horror Nights is even promoting Chucky again still. They just have, like, little side pieces and stuff like that, but... They, but if something like Chucky can make a comeback and be successful, Hellraiser can too. Well, and Chucky's never been anybody's favorite in this room. Phil doesn't want bit. Yeah, I. It's a fun film when you when you want to, but it's like okay, I can punt him across the street. (laughs) I don't know. I would. I'd be willing to. I still haven't watched this. The first season. 
Yeah. Yeah. I might check it out, but there's so much. There's just so much content these days. It's hard to keep up with everything. You kind of have to pick and choose what you want to watch. It's like, I need to see Nope. Yeah. Mm. I still haven't gotten around to that, and that's supposed to be fantastic. Yeah. Which is fair, because Jordan Peele's first two movies were great. It definitely, the horror community, it is just like, it's just constantly coming out, which is fine. But if you don't, if you don't have the time to really sit down and watch this, if you just have like regular lives, children, jobs and stuff like that because the world the way the world is right now i mean you just don't have the time so it's it's hard to get caught up to everything that's going on yeah okay right this is phil this is shelby this is zach stay spooky